Well, we begin a new series. I'm sorry if you're really uh, interested in studying Philippians more. You're welcome to do that on your own. Uh, but we're going to head into a series that we entitled Changed. And, and we're thinking about all of the different changes that we experience, perhaps in our life. Maybe you can, can think of changes that have happened in the last decade. You know, the students and teachers largely have experienced changes themselves, right? This week, they're, they're going from maybe one grade into another one, changing classrooms, changing teachers. Some students perhaps even changing schools, going from homeschooling to classrooms or from certain classrooms to different ones. They're going to experience other changes too, like different changes of expectations that, that their teachers and others have on them, perhaps. My kids will experience some changes. Uh, they'll have to get up earlier, get ready for school, and get their chores done before they get on the bus, right? Changes before they used to have pretty much kind of all day to get things done, we experience other kinds of changes as we head into different stages in life. How many of you are not going to school this year? Me and a bunch of other folks. Good for you. Glad that you're enjoying non-school time as well. Changes. There's, there's people who are experiencing empty nesting for perhaps the first time. People who have experienced retirement. People who have experienced moving into a different community, all of these changes. If some of those lists don't really work for us, we experience changes in other ways, like how at some point this fall we're going to have to change the time, right, to have it be one hour back further, or, or we're going to have to change the things that we need to grab in the day, on the weekend perhaps, instead of, we're, instead of grabbing a shovel that is for dirt, we're going to change that over to a shovel that is for snow. See some shaking heads over there. Changing. We see the, the changing of the trees from green to, to bright oranges and, and reds and maroons and so on. But I wonder, with, with all of these changes we experience, our, our time changed into money, changed into goods, all of these things that we experience, how much do we think about the change that Christ has on our life each and every day? There's, there's a, a couple ways that we can think about this change, but we'll, we're going to look at it first by this passage in 1 Corinthians Chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So there's, there's the Lord who is working within us over time, changing us more and more and more into the image of God. Christ, increasing glory. Some of these changes happen, happen over time, but there's other changes that happen in our life, and it's immediate. It's something that happens in an instant. In an instant, 
we are, we are forgiven and we receive that forgiveness from God. In an, in an instant, God's eyes look upon us and, and do not see our, our sinfulness, but instead sees Jesus Christ and Jesus' righteousness. In an instant, God says we are restored. In an instant, he says we are his children. We are who God says we are. In an instant, God makes his spirit dwell within us and empowers us. And yet we're changed over time, transformed in his image. And we chose a, a, a few things that we're going to focus on during this series. Where we have a change of thinking. That, that we're not going to think the same way that we had thought before, and that's where we're going today. But we've, we get a change of sight in how we see the world and, and what God is doing. It we, we have a change of the things that we focus on. And then we have a change of standing in front of God. So as we think about these changes, let's head to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you want to grab one of those Bibles that's in front of you, it's on page 920. And we will go there in a moment. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to start back with this verse 1. You know, Romans is considered this really deep book. It's, it's really considered theological, right? I see some nodding heads. If, if you're not tracking with that, but it, it, it's this book about who God is, and what he has done for salvation through Jesus and the Spirit. It, it, it gives us kind of the, the groundwork of what that looks like. This is what a life outside of the Spirit looks like, and this is one that is with the Spirit and, and what that looks like. But the thing about theology and our understanding about God is that it can't just be left up here. It can't be just left in your mind because if we practice good theology, if we practice a good way of, of knowing who God is, it means our theology must be put into practice in, in the way that we live. A, a following of Christ cannot just be this, this theoretical thing that we put in our minds. Instead, if we're following Christ, we're going to be putting things into practice using our bodies and our minds. So Paul says here, he says, in view of God's mercy, all of that stuff that I talked about before and, and what God has said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice was, was kind of a big deal in the ancient world. The, 
the idea of religion or following a certain God was not and never could be just a assent to some certain ideas, right? It couldn't be left in the mind alone. And, and the way that you saw it enacted in most religions of that day is the word sacrifice. Sacrifice and religion were synonymous because they were partners together. If you believed in a God, you would sacrifice to that God. So for the Jews, that was Yahweh. And, and so what we would see is that God would, would call his people to make sacrifices, or, or even we would see people making sacrifices before that was even called. If we go to Genesis 8, I don't know if I have that up here. We'll find out. Then Noah, this is after the flood, built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals, so he brought extras with him, apparently. Uh, he had clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord. There wasn't anywhere that Noah was required to do this, but because he believed in God and because God had saved him, then he sends forth this, this offering. If we go further into to Genesis, we would, we would read about a, a, a guy named Abram, or Abraham maybe as, as you know him, and his son Isaac, and how Abraham and Isaac trudged up to a mountain in the region of Moriah, and God told him to give his own son as the offering. But then at the last minute, the Lord stopped him and gave him a ram that was in a thicket. A sacrifice to the Lord. Jacob and Esau would go on to give sacrifices to the Lord, and Moses would be instructed on how to give sacrifices to the Lord. And if you, if you want to read that, you can go to Leviticus and chapters, I think, 1 through 8. You can read those, and you can find out what are the different sacrifices, burnt offerings, grain offerings, fellowship offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, and, and so on. All these sacrifices that were from the people, from the things that they had to God. Religion was sacrifice. But the problem with religion being sacrifice is that it, it could still be abused. And, and it often led to this idea that just by going through the motions, an Israelite, just by having this clean, unblemished animal and giving that to the Lord in sacrifice, then he'd be fine. He'd be good. But it's more than going through the motions and, and what the Israelites find out uh, from the prophets, from Hosea and Micah, is that God just doesn't want the sacrifice, but he also wants heart too, and, and that he's only going to accept these sacrifices that come from this, this pure heart, this heart that's directed towards God in, in all ways, this sincere heart. So that's what's going on in the, in the background, and now Paul says, offer yourself, offer yourself as a sacrifice. A living sacrifice. 
the system's changed, he's saying. Not now are, are you going to be grabbing an animal and putting the animal on an altar and sacrificing this animal for the Lord. Instead, we're essentially putting ourselves on the altar. Dying to ourselves. Dying to our old ways, our, our selfishness, our, our pride. And, and rising out of that place in a spot where we we're following God, offering Him our entire life, all 168 hours, or 525,600 minutes. How many of you sang the song in your head? Uh, we're not killing ourselves. We're not going to, to, to die, but we will die to ourselves so that what, what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, now that is the offering to God. Everything that we do, every place that we go, every conversation that we have, every thought that comes through our mind, every step that we're taking, everything that we do, whatever we do, we're doing it now, not for ourselves, but for God's glory. And so, so then comes the, the next part, this do not conform then to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's continuing to, to work to change the mindset of these, these Jews who had started following God, or following Christ, I should say. They had, they had this, this mindset which focused on the current age and then the age to come. And in the current age wasn't all that great, they would say. The current age is this age of rebellion. It's this age of sin. It's an age of death and destruction. And it's this age of, of corruption. And it's just something that they need to endure and, and get through that the Lord would sustain them to, to get through get through it so that when the age to come would happen, everything would change. The age to come, God would, would come and He'd restore all of His people and His justice would be imparted into the world. I think sometimes we get it in our mind that this age right now is something that we just gotta, gotta get through. But we see too that there isn't the joy and justice and peace that, that we desire to see. We see it in the news, in stories. We see it through the earthquake that ravaged Haiti yet again. We see it in, in the, the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. We see it in the military rule that's in charge of, of Myanmar right now. We see it, this current age, in, in, the, in the fires that are engulfing large swaths of, of, of God's world. We can, we can see it and maybe hear about it in the division and the discord and disagreement that we have here in our own country. We can see it in the, the frustration and the lack of trust that we have for other people. 
And Paul's saying this isn't just an age that, that you need to endure. This isn't just an age that you just need to get through to get onto the other side. Instead, he says, things have fundamentally changed because you now are the people that will be living out and enacting God's will in this current age. You are the people who will renew your mind to not be focused on those same things that everyone else is focused on in order that you may live in a way that is honoring to God that you can, whatever you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, that it may be for the glory of God. Every move, every hour, every minute to the glory of God and His coming kingdom. And that starts kind of personally in our own life in these ways. Maybe. Peyton, you might need to help me out. There we go. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And then a little bit later, he says, but now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. We're, we're changed not to follow and conform to the patterns of the world, but instead we're, we're changed to conform to the patterns of Christ. To, to not follow in those things of the old age. To not follow in the way the world would live. To focus on those areas of discord and disagreement, to focus on those parts of our lives where we ought to complain more often, those parts of our lives where we want to maybe desire to remain in disagreement just like the, the world is doing, but instead dying to those things, putting those things on the altar and giving them up so that you may live a life renewed. It doesn't mean that we look at the world with rose-colored glasses, does it? Just because the, something has fundamentally changed in us that we're to live a different way. It's, it doesn't mean that we won't encounter the difficulty because I think we've all experienced it. We, we named the things that, that have been difficult. But even amidst those difficult things, we claim Christ's dominion over our life and we claim Christ's dominion over everything that we experience, that we in all situations would be God's ambassadors here on earth, that we would be His kingdom of priests. That as we walk into those school hallways, that we would, we would represent God to people but then also that we would represent all the other people to God. That, that we would change our mind to be that of Christ who came, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of the others. So he walks into these places and he, and he brings God into their life and he brings them to God. That's what, that's what we do. And this, this present age should 
should not force us into a mold of, of how we live, but instead it's Christ who has made the mold that we are to follow. So, so where are those areas where we need to, to walk in to be the priests of God, representing God and, and bringing those things to God? Where is it that we need to, to have our mind renewed to not conform to what society says important? What are the main challenges that we're facing? Is it, is it the pitting of the politically right versus the politically left? Is it the, the pitting of anti-racism versus pro-police? Is it the, the pitting of neighbor care versus uh, freedom in mask wearing? Is it the, the pitting of vaxxers and anti-vaxxers? Is it... I think it's, it's all of those areas where we try to divide people, to put people on one side and to put people on the other and try to say this side's always right and this side is, is always wrong. Maybe that's the area that God is calling us to, to step into, to, to bring in a way of, of unity rather than a way of divisiveness, to, to bring in a way of unity rather than a way of argumentation. The world's way is, is digging in heels. Or maybe God is calling us to pick up our heels and restore relationships. We can't live the way the world lives. We need to renew our minds. That way we truly can represent Christ in what He is calling us to do. things we experience even in the Christian community. I, I have a group of pastors I meet with about once a month, and, and we gathered together this past week, and, and there was about six of us at the table, and there was a common theme among the pastors that I heard, stories of people who were unable to get along. People who were experiencing disunity, argumentation over a variety of things. And here, even amidst all of those disagreements and discords in, in these churches, we're called to not conform to the pattern of the world, but instead to be reformed, to be transformed, to, to renew our minds that we may truly live out a different way. And I think there's a way that was mentioned to me earlier this month at, at the Leadership Summit. You know, Craig Rochelle said this. He says, what the divided world needs is a united church. If the way of the world is a division, then the way of our life must be in unity. What the divided world needs is a united church, a united church that is offering ourselves, our very selves, as a living sacrifice for Jesus, a united church no longer living in the way of anger and hatred, a united church no longer conforming to the pattern of, of corruption and complaining, 
a united church that is, is not bent on seeing destruction of others, a, a united church that is not pitting one against another, a united church that is offering care, a united church that is restoring relationships. And I forgot to put a picture in, as I see right now. And I think we can see it. We see a, a united church caring for the community, even in some of the small things that we just started doing recently. The community garden being one of them. People assenting to this idea of, of creating food and having food available for people. And, and week after week, we put out food and it is gone. Twice a week, sometimes three, food's put out there and we have people commenting on Facebook posts there, I can't get there quick enough. I always seem to miss out. But, but then there's something else that that's people see. There was a post just recently that said, the love and care that you have for your community is amazing. What the world needs today, what the divided world needs today is a united, compassionate, and caring church who are, are looking out for the way of others, looking out for, for who they are. What is it that we're filling those 168 hours with? Those 525,600 minutes. Because what we fill them with is what we fill our mind with. Do we consistently think about how we represent God to others, but also how we represent others to God? Or, I'm guilty of it, do we sit down and, and use some of those minutes maybe more often than not in a passive position in front of the TV, front of the radio, filling our minds with other things that will likely begin to dictate how we live. How is it that, that we're going to fill them? Are, are we filling them with opportunities that we can show the care and compassion and unity of the church? Because what, what a divided world needs is a united church. When Christ comes in us and, and He fundamentally changes the game, when he, when he comes in us and says, offer yourself on the altar that you would live a life not for yourself but, but for me, when, when that comes in our mind, we change the way we live. We change the way we live. We live by glorifying Christ in each and every hour of each and every day. A couple weeks ago, I was on vacation. 
we were up in the, the upper peninsula at Tequamanon Falls in, in the campground. My parents had come, and, and we, had, we had all these plans. We had these, these, these plans laid out. How many of you make plans when you go on vacation? Yes. Okay, good. Some people go willy-nilly and just say we're going to leave town. I don't get it. i got to have everything planned out. Anyway, we went, and we got everyone ready in the car. That's a lot of people, mind you, all right? We had everybody. My parents were in the car along with Emily and I and our five kids. We got nine people in this. It's a really big car. And, and, and we're sitting there, and I look across the way. What I want to do is leave, and we're going to go to Mackinac Island. But I see my neighbors, who I don't even know their names, they, they're struggling, and they can't get the slide out of their camper in anymore. It's in those moments of time right there that we, we find out, are we willing to, to live for others, or are we going to live for ourselves? So I got out of the car, and I went over there. I didn't even know if I could help. I didn't, didn't know what I could do, but it was an opportunity for, for me to fulfill the role that God calls that we each would be a priest in all the areas, bringing God to them, but also representing them to God. And, and we come through, and, and I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, I, I have one too, a camper, you know, uh, maybe I can help. Oh, yours is different than mine. I'm not sure I can help anymore. Spending maybe 45 minutes with everybody sitting in the car to offer care, compassion, to offer sympathy, and to get the slide out in. And they went away thankful, and, and they said, it worked. What'd you do? I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure it was Jesus because I prayed. And I said, have a good trip. Enjoy your next spot. We'll enjoy ours too. Where is it that God calls you into those moments of inconvenience in your life? Where we demonstrate that renewing of our mind. That our life is not owned but has been bought by Jesus Christ. And that we are wholeheartedly willing and ready to serve him. From this day forward, let's pray. Father, you've changed our lives dramatically. We, we may not see it perhaps on the outside all the time, but it was, it was you who came to this world to save us even before we had lifted a finger. And it's, it's you who continues to change our lives day by day as we we put aside our old way of thinking, as we put aside our selfishness, that we could live each and every moment for you, bringing you honor and glory. We pray that you would make our lives a beautiful offering. Bring into our lives opportunities that we can have obedience towards your commands and towards how you would like to see us live. Give us opportunities within those 168 hours.
that our worship would not just be limited to this place for this hour or hour and a half, but, but our whole lives would be an honor to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.